Hi, this is Ben Lowell with Back to the Bible Canada and Dr. John Newfeld. We're continuing our series today, The Authority of the King, with a message titled, When Following Jesus Gets Tough. So open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 10, verses 26 to 42, as we join Dr. Newfeld now. You will never know if you're obedient to Christ when he asks you to do something you really want to do or, or when he asks you to do something that costs nothing. You only know if you're obedient to Christ when he asks you to do something you don't want to do or when his commands become hard, when, when everything within you screams out, I don't want to do this. This costs too much. It is then and only then when we discover whether or not we are his servants. At any other time, we're only doing what we would have done anyway. Furthermore, you don't know if you trust Christ when you can see the outcome of your obedience. That is, when you can already see how everything is going to turn out. No, no. You only know if you trust Jesus when you can't see how things are going to turn out. That's when you discover whether or not you will trust him. And that's especially so when it comes to matters involving death. Look, Jesus said, and here I'm reading John 11, verse 25, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Look, if you're 25 years old and you're in great health and you've got a great future and and no one's going to kill you, then say, I will trust Jesus unto death with all the fervor in the world. And, And yes, you should mean it. Say it with all the fervor in the world. But truth be told, you would be shocked if you were called to test that promise tomorrow. But when you get a bit older, when you've been diagnosed with liver cancer, and you're faced with the reality that this body will soon cease to exist, then if you can say it with equal fervor, yet though I die, through the resurrection of Jesus, I shall live, then my friend, it is clear you have learned to fully trust him. Or let me put it a little more forcefully, because as you know, no one chooses to have liver cancer. But consider Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who went back to Nazi Germany, knowing that it would cost him his life, but had full confidence in the resurrection of Jesus, then you know if you're taking him at his word. Now, let's remember what we have studied in the book of Matthew. Do you remember when we studied Matthew 8, there were two men who volunteered to be Jesus' followers. The first promised that he would follow Jesus anywhere, and then Jesus told him that he didn't even have a place to lay his head. Did he really understand the cost? You know, from all indications, that man stopped volunteering to follow Jesus right then. The second wanted to stay at home with his father until his death. Only then would he be ready. And Jesus said that this man was already spiritually dead. And then in the next chapter, in chapter 9, we we encounter the author of our book, Matthew. He's collecting taxes and he's become wealthy by selling out his soul to the Roman government. He's doing his own thing. Jesus said, quit your job, leave everything you count as security, and follow me. And Matthew got up from his tax booth, let go of every earthly security, and began a wild adventure of following Jesus. That's what Jesus commands. Radical obedience to him and complete and total confidence that he will not abandon us, but that our faith in him is not misplaced. Follow me, he says. Don't tell me of your plans. Don't tell me of your previous commitments. Don't tell me of your lifestyle choices or your unfinished business. I trump everything. You follow me. I'm your king, and I demand loyalty unto death. And something within us wants to scream out, that costs too much. 
and you're demanding a level of trust that I'm not completely sure about. But for some wild-eyed reason, Matthew, who knew the cost, said, but it's worth it because in the end, I inherit the kingdom of heaven. And in the end, I am one of his, and that's simply better than everything else I've got. I am confident that Jesus really is everything that he seems to be. And so a group began, wild-eyed, radical followers of Jesus who risked their entire lives on Jesus. And Jesus picks 12 of them and starts to train them for a mission. He will make them the foundation for his church. But there is some misunderstanding. They all expect the kingdom of heaven to be consummated at any moment without much of a fight. Things are going to get really good, they think. Indeed, we know they thought that way. We know that because on one occasion, and Mark records that in in Mark 10, 37, James and John asked Jesus that he would grant them that one of them would sit on his right hand and the other on his left in his glory. You see, they hadn't counted on suffering. And so we know that the disciples were counting on glory and a wonderful outcome. Indeed, they weren't wrong about the coming kingdom. But right now in Matthew 10, Jesus wasn't talking about that. Instead, he tells them things are going to get tough. Yeah, you abandon everything to follow me, but I have not even begun to test you, he says. He's sending them out as sheep among wolves. In Matthew 22a, he says, you will be hated by all men for my name's sake. So, here's the question for today's message. What do you do when following Jesus gets tough? You know, there are some who are just like the two would-be disciples in Matthew 8. They either say this costs too much, and so they abandon Jesus, or, or they begin to come up with excuses about how they will get around to it when the timing is just right. They'll, then they'll do what Jesus wants them to do. See, there are hundreds of ways in which we conceive of getting around doing what Jesus wants. Some of us have convinced ourselves that salvation has nothing to do with radical obedience to Jesus. Some of us think we don't even have to repent of our sins. Some of us imagine some form of easy believism, so don't get me wrong. We're saved by grace through faith alone. But that faith is a costly faith. It will cost you all that you have. But of course, the reward will be so much greater than the present investment. But Jesus will demand an investment, an investment that might cost us our very lives. Everything boils down to something that's very simple. Jesus issues a command, and we must answer yes or no. He will not let us off the hook with anything else. Are you for me, or are you against me? Will you submit to your king, or will you be a rebel? And if you submit, I promise you a great war with hardship, suffering, sorrow, and death. As the German theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, when Christ bids a man or woman to follow him, he bids them to come to him and die. For the twelve, the cost of following Jesus would soon become evident. Jesus sent them on mission, and he then reveals that their short-term missions assignment is going to become a long-term missions assignment. And when that happens, opposition to these twelve will grow, and, and things are going to get hostile. They will have to suffer. They're like sheep, and their enemies are like wolves waiting to tear them apart. Following him is going to get tough now. We've been studying Matthew 10, and this chapter has Jesus telling his disciples what to do when following him gets tough. When the cost of being his seems excessive, more than we thought, these 12 will face suffering and death for the sake of Jesus. How are they to face that? Jesus tells them how. 
Our text today is Matthew chapter 10, verses 26 to 33. So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. See, I wonder, do you find this teaching of Jesus to be a little troublesome? I think a great many of us do, especially that upsetting part about denying or confessing him before men. Is he saying that the secret, undercover Christians are not real Christians at all? Is he demanding that we be involved in evangelism? Is he saying something different than what many of us have heard so often? Simply believe in Jesus and you're going to go to heaven as if believing was simply an intellectual faith. Does Jesus demand radical obedience to him? Yes or no? See, the truth be told, if we listen to Jesus, I mean, if we really listen to him, without imposing on him our pre-existent belief structure over top of what he says. If we just let him speak and say what he says, he can make us very uneasy. It's absolutely essential that we hear him out, that we let him direct the conversation, that we find out from him what genuine faith and genuine obedience actually looks like. What is it that he's demanding of his disciples? And from that, we ought to also ask, what is it that he's demanding of us? Because it's so necessary to listen to Jesus, for we will not know what true faith is until he describes it for us. Being that we celebrate Thanksgiving this month, we wanted to make sure to express our gratitude for you, our listeners. Your encouragement, prayers, gifts all mean so much. We're also grateful for your notes, letting us know that Back to the Bible Canada is impacting your daily walk with Christ. Sarah wrote, Dr. John's stories illustrate so clearly how to live out the truths of Scripture. Jordan wrote, your message was so timely for my heart. And special thanks to you for making this Bible teaching ministry possible. And don't forget to request your 2022 scripture calendar based on Dr. John's book, Making the Most of Your Salvation. It's our free Bible resource this month. Or if you'd like to make a gift, call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca. Matthew 10, 26 to 33 is, is a part of a wider teaching of Jesus in, in which he is preparing his disciples for their long-term missions assignment. He's telling them they're going to face persecution. Things are going to get tough. Persecution is going to grow, and the cost of following Jesus is rising. What are they to do? Notice what he tells them. He says, don't be afraid. Now, that's very easy to say. Fear is a very difficult thing to conquer. 
Now, those of you who know me know that I have this irrational fear of heights. But I'm learning to manage my fears, but I'm a long ways from climbing high places. But I'm slowly believing that fear doesn't need to have the last word. I've learned to climb up and down cliffs, not with ease, but a whole lot better than I used to. You see, I've learned a few tricks, and the main one is that I'm trying to climb those places that don't require me to look down. But I wasn't helped by being told not to be afraid. I already knew that my fears were completely irrational and that I shouldn't have them. I was already embarrassed on hikes with my wife and friends as as they walked in confidence in areas that, that I wouldn't and couldn't go. It was like a panic settled in and it seemed brutal. I was humiliated. I needed to learn how not to be afraid. And so I learned some secrets, little tricks. For one, as I mentioned, I stopped looking down. I concentrated on what was right in front of me, that is, the very next step, rather than in how far I had to go. You know, for example, several years ago, I climbed a log ladder up a rather high cliff out in the open with a cliff below me. It was in in Mesa Verde, Colorado. I never looked at anything but the rung I was holding on to. I got to say, I was terrified as I climbed a long wooden ladder on a cliff face. But after I made it, I felt kind of proud of myself. You know, I've also learned that when crawling up a cliff, to go at my own pace rather than the pace of others. And I also consciously quoted scripture. I mean, Psalm 23, verse 4, even though I walk in the valley of the shadow of death, that became one of my favorites. And Psalm 91, 9 to 10, because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High who is my refuge, no evil shall befall you. No plague shall come near your tent. See, I did all those things, and slowly I find myself getting better at the things I'm really afraid about. That's my method. But how do you conquer the fear of men? What if following Christ means that all men turn against you? What if it holds the possibility of exclusion, ridicule, slander, pressure to conform? What if it comes with subtle and not-so-subtle threats? What if it means imprisonment and even death? What then? How does one stop from being afraid? And Jesus, I think, gives the answer. Your fears don't need to dominate you. Here's how to conquer the fear of men. Here are the secrets. Here are the little tricks. Try to remember that your persecutors will soon be exposed. Look again at verses 26 and 27. So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. Here's another way of saying this. Your enemies can't prevent your public vindication, nor their own public exposure. Just like the words of Jesus, which were taught privately to the disciples, they've now been hailed for 2,000 years worldwide in every language on earth. So also, All the evil that men do to the followers of Christ will one day be exposed. One day, in the day of the Lord, every secret thing will be made public and God will defend his people. So you concentrate on that and not on your fears. But there's more. You need also to remember that your persecutors are a minor danger. Not everything is equally frightening. See, when I climb a high place, I know the difference between a sheer cliff that goes straight down 
and a steep incline among trees so that, you know, even if I slip, I, I'll be stopped by the trees. I mean, I might be bruised by the trees, but I'm not going to be severely harmed. See, I know which things shouldn't frighten me at all. I take note of it and remind myself of it. The same is true when men revile you. Look again at verse 28. And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Do you see what constitutes genuine danger? Danger is losing your soul, or as the passage reminds us, to have body and soul thrown into hell. If you could only see the great cataclysm ahead of the human race, and the great judgment of God, and the eternal dwelling of those that have not been reconciled with God. If we could see that, I think our souls would shrink back in horror. You know, every time I preach on hell, I'm criticized, and here's why. For one, what I have to say is frightening. When Jesus speaks of body and soul, both of them thrown into hell, he implies by that a bodily resurrection of both the just and the unjust. See, when I speak of heaven, I say that heaven is physical with real sights and sounds and smells and tastes and real bodily sensations. Well, the same is true of hell. The Bible describes this place as a lake of fire. It describes those who are there as being in torment. It describes its duration as being without end. And so all who enter there must abandon all hope. No change in status, no better days, no grace to look forward to, only bitter damnation without end. It's a place that's intended to bring horror to mind, to shake away the cobwebs of complacency, to drive the spike of fear into the slumbering heart. Do you see then how little is the danger of men to be concerned about minor dangers while there is a great disaster ahead is, is like worrying about the heating system in your car while you're heading over a bridge into the icy waters below. See, concentrate on that. Think about real danger. But there's a third reason not to fear. You should not fear men because your heavenly Father loves you in a detailed way. That's found in verses 29 to 31 are not two sparrows sold for a penny, and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. See, I don't know anyone who has counted the amount of hairs they have. You know, I'm told that typically human beings have between 100,000 to 500,000 hairs. You know, some of us men, well, we find we have fewer of them on the top of our heads and more of them on the bottom of our heads like in and on our ears, and on and in our noses. Well, God actually counts even the ones that show up in strange places. And if that weren't enough, Jesus reminds his disciples of these little birds that people will often buy. Sparrows were sold for eating, and they were cheap. They were often eaten, and as I understand it, you could get two for a penny. But merchants in that day would, for two cents, throw in an extra bird, five for two cents. They're cheap and insignificant, except to God. See, the point is simple. The loving Father cares meticulously for every single aspect of his creation. And if that's so, how much care does he have for those whom he created in his image? And more so, how much more does he care for his elect, purchased by the blood of his Son? Now, three times in verse 26, then in verse 28, and then in verse 31, Jesus says, fear not. 
Don't be afraid of people who seek to persecute you. And he tells us why. Nothing remains hidden. Your persecution is a minor, not a major danger. And your heavenly Father is deeply concerned for everything. And with that comes a conclusion. You can trust Jesus. And he's sending you out into mission. You don't have to be intimidated into silence by a hostile world. Keep your eyes away from that which frightens you irrationally and keep your eyes on what ultimately matters. Look, any Christian can avoid persecution if they simply shut up. But if we shut up about Jesus, he will shut up about us before our Father in heaven. And you can see in this passage a promise and then also a warning. Now, confession of Christ happens in a number of ways. Yes, it does involve stepping up to the plate and making it clear that we're believers. It can involve our baptism and confessing him before the entire Christian community and all others invited to witness the event of our baptism. It involves sharing our faith. It also involves living consistently with what Christ has commanded. It might mean standing up for the weak and the oppressed. You know, during the Second World War, some Christians, like, like Corrie Ten Boom, hid Jews in her house as a Christian she could not stand idly by while people were being murdered. It means standing up for the unborn. It might mean holding fast Christian virtue in a day of sexual obscenity. But whatever we mean by confessing Christ, the real issue will always be one of faith. Will I trust him that if I step out, he will protect me? Or will I simply not trust him? The real issue is never the obedience issue. It's the trust issue. Will I trust Jesus in all areas of life? Will I trust him? will I give way to irrational fears? John, this is a challenging message today because in essence, what we're being asked to do is to to consider going against the grain at times, against the culture, against what might be the norm or, or what might be wise in some people's eyes. But God is calling us to trust him. Yeah, this needs to continue to be said. It is sometimes following Jesus really does get tough. And uh, it is not for the faint of heart to be a follower of Jesus. So let's acknowledge that courage is required, but let's not despair because we are given the Holy Spirit and we are given these great and precious promises and we're given brothers and sisters in Christ who are going to stand with us in these days. So, um, but let's not fear because uh, these are indeed days when uh, there will be those who will uh, stand against us and we will be called to stand against the tide. Thanks so much, John. And remember to join us again tomorrow right here on Back to the Bible Canada, where we teach the Bible. An integral goal of this ministry is to ensure that Bible teaching you can trust is available to as many people in as many places in as many ways as possible. That's why we emphasize a diversity of unique Bible teaching and engagement resources available through a variety of mediums, radio, online, free mobile applications, YouTube, just to name a few. Providing these resources ensures that anyone who desires to hear the gospel can do so at their convenience and at no cost. We're grateful for the incredible opportunity that's ours to share the gospel in your community, across Canada, and around the world. But this couldn't happen without like-minded friends, partners, and donors across the country. This Thanksgiving, 
We say thank you for blessing us, and in turn we pray that this ministry continues to bless all those searching to know Jesus better. For more information about Back to the Bible Canada, or to offer a gift of support, call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca.